0: Hearty welcome to everybody here in the service and everybody listening online. We welcome you. Our mission here at Grace Church in Kutztown is to lead people toward a growing relationship with Jesus, and we welcome you this morning. Uh, as, uh, I have a few announcements before we begin. One is, can you guess, fill out, <laughs> fill out your connection card. You can tear it right out of your bulletin and uh, just your name uh, and any little things you want to share with us just helps us keep track of you and our attendance records and things like that so if you will and then you can drop it in the offering plate. Uh, Another thing is this afternoon is the uh, picnic over at uh, Hoffman's if you need to know how to get there Uh, Let someone besides me direct you, or you may never get there. But uh, I can't find it. There's a little thing in your bulletin that tells you how to get there and uh, the details of that. Uh, In addition, I want to mention that uh, there's a little thing in there, small groups at Grace Church telling you where they meet and a little bit about... uh, when uh, when, and where they're meeting. If you aren't part of a small group, I'd encourage you, the one that our house has been going on for, gosh, over 20 years. And we really enjoy meeting. And the last thing, oh, I know what it was. Operation Christmas Child. Man, it is almost Christmas, which makes me excited on a day like today when it's kind of cool. So, Operation Christmas Child, we're going to have a shoebox packing event here at the church on November 3rd, so you can start uh, donating things now for that packing event, or you can bring your own box and things on the church, uh, at the church that day, and just pack your box with us, and it'll be a fun time. So all the details are in your bulletin, won't waste your time, because I bet all of you can read So, beg your pardon? Oh, I heard a voice. Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. (laughs) So, anyway, for my call to worship today, uh, I'll be reading from Psalm 103, one of my favorites. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these benefits that you've given us. We praise and thank you that you are so worthy of that praise that we give you. Uh, You forgive all our sins, and you heal our diseases, and you have redeemed our lives from the pit, and you crown us with your love and compassion. And when we have desires, sometimes they're not for good things so you satisfy us with better things. Lord, help us to always keep our eye on you so that we desire the things that you want us to have, so that we pray according to your will, so that our minds become conformed to yours. And Lord, part of that happens when we come to church and worship together and hear your word and listen to your word expounded from the pulpit. And so, Lord, we ask today that you'd be with Pastor Adam as he preaches. Give him your words and help him to uh, be clear and as he always is and to uh, just anoint his words and help him in, in his preaching. And Lord, help us in our hearing and just unblock our ears and soften our obstinate will so that we can be open to yours. And Lord, uh, let us rejoice, let us bless you and praise you, and let us be joyful today because today is the day that we devote to you. And we pray these things in your blessed Son's name. Amen. Okay, let's stand and let's sing the first hymn. It's in your bulletin, and it'll also be projected on the wall, and it is, Holy God, we praise thy name. to God right now and we just joined in. What a great thing that third verse was about how prophets are singing and we're swelling the apostolic song and oh maybe it's the second verse and cherubim and seraphim are singing we just joined in with the angel's song. And how neat is that? Let's go to our next hymn. The church is one foundation. It's Jesus Christ. Her-
1: The scripture reading for this morning is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, and that can be found on page 891 in the Red Pew Bibles. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law which its commandments and regulate, with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which, he put to death, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit.
2: Thank you, Kathy. Well, friends, we're starting a new series today, a new sermon series. This time... um, Not in uh, one particular book of the Bible, though we'll be resuming uh, that kind of series um, soon. But in this series, looking at different pictures or different specifically metaphors that are given to us in the New Testament uh, depicting or describing the church. Now, we'll start this morning with a question that I, I think I've asked before. But when you think of the word church, what do you picture Maybe you picture a building or you picture, I don't know, things that a lot of churches have, maybe a steeple or stained glass or church pews, or maybe you think of singing or sermons, or maybe you think of programs or people, but we all have these different ideas about the church that um, come to our mind anytime we even hear the word. But sometimes, and myself included, sometimes we can easily lose sight of what makes a church a church and what makes the church the church and 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 really as we look at what the scriptures have to say about this body and there i used one of the metaphors um known as the church uh it always describes a people not a place. And so the next few weeks, we're looking in this series at these these various uh, metaphors. And I think it's a good series for us because all of us have been affected by the church someday. You don't even have to be, a, or in some way, you don't even have to be a church person to have been affected by the church. And, and really, the series falls at a good place uh, because for those of you who weren't part of the last series that, that uh, we embarked on, um, we talked a lot about the reason why, the reasons why we believe what we believe. And over the last three Sundays leading up to today, we, we learned from Romans chapter 3 just how important the, the good news of the gospel is and how much it influences and informs how we live our lives as followers of Jesus in, in the day-to-day. Um, and so having spent some time there, we talked a lot as well about those religious insiders and formerly irreligious outsiders who had comprised specifically the Roman church at the time, the church in Rome, as Paul wrote the book of Romans to them and some of those issues. And now in Ephesians 2, which Kathy just read for us, we have some of the same issues at play, not just in the church in Rome, but now the church in Ephesus. And it reminds us that any time we talk about... uh, the theology of of the church, or um, why church, or what is church to be, how is it to be done, all of that begins not with what we're called to do, and even what we're called to be. It all starts with actually who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And so it's been good that we talked a lot about what Jesus has done for us, and why it matters, and how we know that to be true, and so here we are. So well, then what does that look like? And so in Ephesians 2, the church is described as a household or a family. Uh, we're going to look at other metaphors like uh, the church is a body, the church is a bride, the church as a temple. Um, but here again, it is the church described as a household or family. And in this way, the universal church is made up of all people who've placed their hope in Jesus at all times and in all places, but we're also a part of a local expression of the church known as the local church. And so, in this way, the church is a family, and our family life that we live together is put into practice locally. And so, the benefit of being part of the local church is that we actually get to experience the the benefits and blessings of the church as a household or a family in everyday practical ways that affect our, our, our everyday lives. And so today's passage has some significant implications for us as we live our lives together as part of the local church. And so um, the church as family. Now what I want to do is uh, dive into the passage. We'll walk through the passage together. Uh, there, there are these, these uh, three um, truths about uh, about the church that, that we'll unpack as we go, but all of this flows from the text. And so I hope that you have your Bible open, either the Bible you brought with you or the one in front of you, or if you uh, would rather, I will project... Uh, the scriptures on the wall behind me because I don't want you to take my word for what this is saying. Let's look at what God has already said, and then we can wrestle with the implications and and the applications um, that come from the text, not the ones that we uh, read into the text. So the Apostle Paul begins here. He's the writer. He begins with the word, therefore. Anytime we see that word, we need to uh, look at the context of what he's writing because what came before must be very, very important. And so just to give you a sense of what he's talked about, it's not unlike what we talked about in Romans 1, 2, and 3, as we focused on the good news of the gospel, the good news of faith in Christ alone to save us from our sins, uh, he's talked in, in these chapters specifically, in chapter 2, even more specific than that, about how God's grace uh, is ours despite us being dead and our, our trespasses and sins, our failures, our inability to earn God's grace and this new life. Uh, He's reminded us in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2 that God's grace is powerful over our sins and, and failures, that God's grace actually makes us fully alive when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, experiencing then God's love and God's mercy. He tells us there that our lives through our faith in Jesus can be transformed into testimonies to God's power and God's glory, and that we're brought into this new life, we're saved, not by these good works of ours, but we're actually saved for good works to put the gospel on display, that God's grace, verse 10, is actually at work right now transforming each of us into this masterpiece for, for God. And so therefore, so since all this is true, he says, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by human hands. Dot, dot, dot. Okay, so it's a little different than Romans, isn't it? Because he was dealing a lot with the religious insiders, the, the formerly Jewish crowd that had come to faith in Christ and who um, had, had some heart issues that needed to be dealt with now it's a little different. He's addressing here the Gentiles by birth, those formerly irreligious outsiders who've come to know Christ. And so as we talked about in the Roman church, the same is true here. There's some spiritual pride on the part of the formerly Jewish people in the church. There's some baggage that they need to work through. But in addressing the the, uh, Gentile believers as well, there's some issues for them. And so he uh, calls attention to the fact that, that um, they are outsiders, but then he also urges them in verse 12, if you follow with me, to remember that at that time they were separate from Christ and excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. What does this mean? Well, um, they were outside the Jewish faith. They were not then citizens of Israel. And so... They also were um, not familiar with the promises that God had given, these covenant promises that God had made generations before to bring uh, a Redeemer, a Savior, a Messiah to save them, to redeem them, and to restore them. For generations, people were praying for this Messiah to come but they were not part of that crowd who was praying for that Messiah to come. And so they were, in essence, without hope and without God in the world. They were outsiders, religiously, in in every way. They were separated from what they needed the most, and even more specific than that, separated from who they needed the most, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we get the sense here that the formerly... Gentile, now followers of Jesus, have experienced new life in Christ, were at one time spiritually and relationally excluded. Now, by now, I think that we get a sense of how some of this may apply today, even in the, the local church that, that we're a part of, and local churches across our nation and around the world, that we live in 2021 in a rather lonely world, probably lonelier than um, it's been in most of our recollection right um people over the course of the last um several months many months um, separated from one another uh physically um loneliness if it was was bad uh before the pandemic now it's uh even worse people feeling disconnected from one another um And when we get a sense of people's loneliness or people feeling excluded, it gives us a sense of what a gift the church is to the people of the world, right? What a gift the church can be. Now, loneliness is a big issue. The bigger issue, though, than even loneliness is the spiritual issue that people have. It's not only that we're separated from one another. Um, The reality is that we enter this world separated from god and the beauty of the gospel that we see on display here in this chapter this part of the chapter is um that god's plan was to send a savior to bring people into his forever family not just to redeem and rescue the religious insiders that is the jews but to rescue and redeem all people including even the irreligious outsiders like the gentiles And everything changes then in verse 13. If you have your your Bible open in in front of you, you'll see this. But now in Christ, Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so every one of these exclusions that, that was once true of the Gentiles, they're now reversed. So you who once didn't have access to God's promises, you who were once Uh, irreligious outsiders, because Jesus died on your behalf on the cross, because he shed his blood to pay a payment that you could not pay, Uh, you've been brought near. That when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die on the cross and shed his blood for the Jews, he shed his blood even for those who at the time were um, living in direct rebellion against him brings to mind one of my favorite verses of Scripture, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not while we were still nailing it in life and getting all the things right um, that Christ died for us. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a beautiful promise. So Jesus dies in our place, makes a way for us to experience forgiveness of sin, new life, access to God, hope for eternity, and more. But it's difficult in the Ephesian church to live out in practical ways. It's full of these formerly Gentile believers in Christ. The division between Jew and Gentile in this particular culture was one of the most fundamental divisions of the first century, at least in that location, that corner of the world. There would have been a palpable tension in the church as these Jews and Gentiles are now coming together as the church gathering as followers of Jesus and now living life together, doing life together, um, sharing the same space, um, living the same new life, it was a bit problematic. But it's not just the, the the it's not just that the Gentiles are now saved through their faith in Christ and told to stay in their own little Gentile corner of the church, they're included now with all the rights, benefits, blessings that every other follower of Jesus has. And again, it ends uh, toward the end of this passage with the Apostle Paul using a metaphor for the church here as a household or as a family. And what we see in the first part of the passage then is that we are indeed, as the local church, And as the church universal, a family who's been brought near to God through our faith in Jesus alone. It's a simple truth uh, direct from from Scripture, but the question here then becomes, so how should this shape us and our collective life together as a family or a household of faith? So what difference does this make then in in, um, how we live our lives as followers of Jesus together? And so what does that look like? Well, I think the question becomes, um, since there were non-spiritual measurements for um, closeness to Christ and um, uh, that kind of thing um, in the first century church, specifically in Ephesus, so what are the non-spiritual measurements that we might use as 21st century followers of Jesus, that that we stick in place of circumcision or being a Jew by birth. Ways that perhaps we look down on outsiders who haven't become insiders or outsiders that we don't want to become insiders. Things perhaps like um, vocation, um, political bent, um, fill in the blank with all those different things. Socioeconomic status, like, what are the limits that we put on, on, on people? And as we come together from all these many backgrounds and many different places where we've been and places where we are, um, what does the world see about the nature of the household of faith as they look at, at our, our own gathering, this, this composition of um, the local church? Again, we're a family who's been brought near to God through our faith in Jesus alone that we have the opportunity to put Jesus on display as they did in Ephesus in the first century. And as we come together from all these different places and all these different backgrounds, um, we create this compelling community that, that really does turn heads because Jesus is the center. And the relationships that we have with one another don't really make sense apart from it being our faith in Jesus that unites us. It's not our socioeconomic status that unites us. It's not our vocations that, uni- that unite us. It's not our hobbies that unite us. It's none of those more surface-level things. It's Jesus who's reconciled us to himself, and it's Jesus who reconciles us to one another. And it's a powerful apologetic for the gospel, for faith in Jesus, when these relationships of ours make no sense apart from our faith in Jesus alone. Does that make sense? Um, It's powerful. And so turning it back to the Apostle Paul and what he writes to the Christians at Ephesus and describing this household of faith, this family of faith that we live in, he says uh, in verse 14, "...for he himself," that would be Jesus here, is our peace, that Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the way to peace with God. We come into this world, as the Apostle Paul says earlier in Ephesians 2, enemies of God, at odds with God, but through our faith in Jesus, we're no longer his enemies. We're brought near, we're made friends uh, with him. We are given this, this, this peace. This, um, in the Old Testament, the word would be shalom, wholeness, fulfillment, satisfaction that we're adopted in as sons and daughters through our faith in Jesus, and we experience all the rights, benefits, blessings of that adoption. We're not just reconciled to God through our faith in Jesus, we're reconciled to one another. And so the Apostle Paul continues and, and says, Jesus is our peace, who's made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier. That word destroyed is important. He, he didn't just sort of gloss over that barrier. He didn't even just minimize the barrier uh, he destroyed that barrier. What is that barrier? The dividing wall of hostility by setting aside his, in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. So in the church, there are no longer two groups but one. These things that once divided us or these things that can divide us, they no longer divide through our faith in Jesus. There's no longer hostility. Why? Because Jesus, as he went to the cross, dealt with the hostility of sin against mankind. He made a way to deal with the, the sins of mankind against one another. He goes to the cross. He dies our death. He does what we cannot do for ourselves. And he does for us even what we can't do by trying to fulfill all the commands and regulations. We talked about that. I think that was last week, right? The, the uh, analogy of trying to climb the religious ladder in our own strength when Jesus does the work for us. And so the gospel unites us with God. We have that peace with God, that divine shalom, that satisfaction, that wholeness. But then that spills into our relationships with each other. Paul goes on to say uh, his purpose then was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And so again, it's not just this vertical peace. Now there's this horizontal peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. And so the gospel is at the core of this by which he put to death their hostility. It's this amazing thought about the power of the cross, the power of the gospel. And then in verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who are far away, irreligious Gentiles, and peace to those who were near religious Jews, religious insiders. In other words, Jesus, the God and, and the good news of His gospel is for those religious insiders and those irreligious outsiders, For through Him, not through ourselves, not through trying to be good, or doing enough good through Him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Notice the, the, um, the, the implicit truth here is um, that there's really no other way to have access to the Father, And live by the Spirit. It's through Christ. And really, as the rest of Scripture would would, um, prove, uh, it's Jesus alone who saves us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. So through Him, through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Access. I love that word, access. Um, There are some people... That when I'm in a meeting the f- my, my cell phone will go off, and I will not interrupt the meeting because it may or may not be important. There are some people who when they call or um, when there's a knock at my office door in the middle of a meeting i'll immediately pause the meeting and uh, be as gracious as I can, but f- find out what the issue is because those people have been given access in ways that other people haven't been. So when my wife calls, I know it's and, and she knows that I'm in a meeting, it must be an emergency, right? When my secretary knocks at the door when I'm in a the meeting, there must be an emergency going on. They have access that other people don't have. It's a beautiful thing to think about this. Like my kids have access to me that the rest of you don't have access to, right? And And it's like that with our Father in heaven. Now I don't know what your earthly families were like. Um, I know what my earthly family was like growing up. Um, some of you had really, really good experiences uh, with earthly fathers and earthly households. Others of you had um, po- positive. Some had more negative experiences. Um, but the beauty of this here is, is just this whole idea that through our faith in Jesus, not because of anything good we've done, we get this access to to God. At any time, wherever we are, and not only do we have access to the Father, but we have his Spirit in us. That, that the Holy Spirit indwells, this is this whole theological idea, um, that when we put our faith in Jesus, he comes to live inside of us. That God himself then fills us and fuels us, he equips us, he encourages us encourages us and and at the same time he changes us and then challenges us as we live our lives for christ as he sanctifies us more and more to look like live like love like jesus and so what's happening here is the gospel the good news of jesus is erasing all distinctions and allowing anyone who trusts jesus alone now even gentiles to be reconciled to god and to other followers of jesus regarding regardless of their background or any other difference And then as we apply it to our own lives here in our own context, the same gospel then breaks down these barriers that we have as God reconciles men and women and boys and girls uh, to himself from every nation, language, tribe, um, tongue, etc. That the, the church is the gospel on display that we are a family, this household of faith who lives out God's reconciling work through Christ. Through our faith in Jesus, God enables us to have this not only peace with God, but peace with one another. We're not a family who's designed to all look the same and like the same things and and do all the same things. But we're a family who is able to um, live out this reconciling work. And think about how the gospel changes The relationships we have with one another, and the opportunities that we have as the church uh, to live out this this reconciling work of Christ in the world today. The world is struggling mightily with how to reconcile groups of people um, who have very different ideas and different ways of living. You could apply that politically. You can apply it Uh, uh, racially or ethnically, you can, like, look at the, the world is a mess. And we as the church, when we are at our best, take our cues from sacred scripture and not from society or culture in this way. When we're at our best, we take our cues from sacred scripture and not society or culture. Now we, if we, one to, two, we can come up with a laundry list of, of ways where, where we've seen and experienced and maybe even participated in the opposite. And yet, the Apostle Paul reminds us that, that this cannot be and should not be in his church. The gospel changes not just our own hearts, but it changes our relationships. This is hard, hard truth. Um, difficult truth as we think about uh, how risky it is to live life as a, a family, how, how, how difficult it can be at times to bear with one another and um, live out the, the family experience as the church in meaningful ways. But notice notice what else he has to say about it, and, and then we'll tie up the loose ends as we get to the end. He says, consequently, in other words, um, through Jesus, his life, his death, death his resurrection, and our place for our sins... Everyone who believes the good news of the gospel, um, we have access to God. So since that's true, you no longer are foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Members of his household. The word members is important, that that there's this um, uh, clearly defined relationship where um, we are bound together with one another. We're members of his Household. There's this family relationship. It's our faith in Jesus that unites us. Our faith in Jesus that unites us in deeper ways than anything else that could divide us. And it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, those who came before us, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Ultimately, the church and this family of faith is built on Christ. And so then it concludes in Him. The whole building, so there's a mixing of metaphors here, right? The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. It's a dwelling place of God. God doesn't live in church buildings. Uh, He lives in us as followers of Jesus and collectively together as his church. We're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit there's this beautiful truth here that God is building his church using people like you and people like me, that we are a family, that God is continually growing and expanding by his spirit. That this idea of Jesus building his church is vital for us because he's like this divine construction foreman of sorts who's using us in the process of of building. And as we avail ourselves to him as the builder, he builds something more amazing than any of us could ever uh, build with our human hands. And we get to be part of it. And as we uh, partner with the church and live as a family, this building continues through us. Um, That when we connect with God, when we hear his word, when we respond to his voice, we're joining in the building of the church, when we gather together and we we worship him, and even as we sang this morning, as we participate with what's going on in, in heaven right now. Um, we are participating in and joining in the building of the church, when we connect with God's people and learn from one another and bear from one another, when we weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, we're joining in the building of the church, when uh, we share our hope in Jesus with people who are, are far from God or we meet practical needs in the community in the name of Jesus, we're participating in the building of the church, when we choose to serve, we're joining in the building of the church, when we contribute of our finances and our resources, we're joining in the building of the church, that Jesus is building even this expression of his church, that as we proclaim Jesus, we're participants. As we uh, disciple one another, we're participants. As we send people out, we're participants. That he does what we cannot do ourselves. Our job is simply to avail ourselves to him, his spirit, and his work. We are... A household of faith. So, so what does that mean then for us and how we live our lives? Again, keeping in mind this is the introductory sermon to this series, and so it's a little broader perhaps than the rest will be. But, but what would the applications or next steps be here then? Well, I think one of the things that that um, would be appropriate is for each of us to evaluate our own hearts to see if um, there is true alignment in what we say we believe here and then like how we live uh here with with one another uh, or how we see ourselves as part of this body that is bigger than 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 just us so it 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 causes us to look inward at at ourselves right um self-examination is is good for us Um, it moves us to to uh, to turn from our sin to repent to turn toward christ and, and and what he values and so it causes us to look inward, but then I think it also moves us to look outward, to look for those ways where we can more meaningfully connect with this local expression of the church, to um, be part of this this family and live out this family relationship. What would that look like? It would look like uh, committing to to being here, to serving uh, one another and in our community. It looks like growing in community, um, engaging in small group, It looks like giving of our resources. It looks like um, sharing the gospel where we go and participating in the expanding of, of, of Christ's work. So it's a look inward. It's a response also that becomes outward. But also I think what this passage does is it causes us to also respond in an upward kind of way. It moves us to then commit to praying every day for the ministry of this particular local church or the the church that we are uh, spending our time at and participating in. Um, That this work of ours is not work that we do with our human hands. It's a work that God does as we avail ourselves to him and to his spirit. And so what does that look like? for you to to spend that time in prayer. So every week we give these daily prayer prompts as they apply to to our our work as a whole. You'll you'll see that. And um, I I hope that you are already doing it, but if you're not praying uh, through that on a daily basis or remembering your church in prayer, um, I hope that that you'll start because we can't do any of what God has called us to do uh, apart from Him doing the work through us and doing it for us. So, So as a matter of review, it moves us to look inward, To evaluate our hearts, to move outward and engaging meaningfully with one another as the local church, and then it causes us to to look upward as we remember our church every day in prayer. Let's pray. Um, Father, uh, first we want to give you praise that... um, the good news of the gospel is still good news, even in in 2021. That in a world where there is oftentimes what seems to be so much bad news, um, it's our faith in Jesus um, that is our lifeline. It's our faith in Jesus that uh, gives us this peace that we can't find anywhere else. It's our faith in Jesus that gives us hope beyond this life. And it's our faith in Jesus that equips us to live this life that you've called us to live in a way that glorifies you. And so, Lord, we are grateful for the goodness of the gospel. It is truly good news that you've made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins against you, that you've made a way for us to be restored into in a right relationship with you, to be given grace upon grace that we don't even deserve, but simply because you've sent your son Jesus to live the perfect life and die our death in our place. Lord, I pray for those who might not have ever experienced that who might be depending on um, good works or um, religious activity. Lord, help them to see the gospel as good news that they may see striving Um, and by faith receive what you've promised, new life, a new start, and hope in this life and for eternity in glory. Lord, I pray for those of us who've experienced uh, this good news. Lord, help us to see ourselves as members of a family that's bigger than ourselves. Lord, help us to to truly look inward today, myself included. And Lord, as we uh, hold your word uh, against the thoughts that cross our mind or the attitudes of our heart, Lord, move in our hearts in such a way that that we will truly repent of those things where there is not alignment. That we would truly turn from those things and take a step toward Christ, Lord, as you do a work in us for your glory, a work of transformation. And Lord, help us to uh, deal with some of those obstacles that at times stand in our way from uh, engaging meaningfully with one another. Lord, help us to to avail ourselves to every opportunity to grow together into this this family of faith that that radiates the glory of Christ himself. And Lord, forgive us for those, those ways in which we resist that. But move in our hearts so that, Lord, we would truly put the gospel on display and move through our lives, Lord, as we live our life for you um, together. Lord, show us um, how to magnify the name of Jesus not just among ourselves here but in our community. Lord, help us to let our lights shine before men that, that they may see this goodness here and glorify you, that people's eyes and hearts will be turned toward Christ. Lord, we know that that um, you have promised us to build your church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. And though there are times when we grow weary in in doing this good that you've called us to, though there are times when we fail, even miserably, Lord, none of that nullifies your promise. You are building your church and you are using us. Lord, help us to be men and women, boys and girls of prayer praying for you, Lord, to fill us and fuel us by your Spirit to transform this world, to introduce people to the Savior and to do a sanctifying work among those who who do know you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we look forward to seeing your goodness and faithfulness to each of us and to us together as Grace Church. For your honor and glory, we pray this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen Let's continue our worship of the Lord and the giving of our tithes and offerings.) let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to give to you. Uh, And you know, the church is one reason why we give. We give through the church to spread your word, to support the church, to glorify your name, to give back to you with joy because of all the things that you've given us, to support the church worldwide, to support the church in uh, its mission work, so many reasons why we give, but mostly because we love you, because you've blessed us so richly, and because we want to see your kingdom and your name be spread through all the world. So we ask that you take these gifts that we've given you and these tithes and these offerings and use them, use them exactly as you want them used for uh, the glory of your name. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Um, let's sing. stand together and sing our last hymn. Blessed be the tie that binds. this week uh, we want to continue to pray for Daryl and Barb but we also want to put a praise in there Uh, their daughter was married yesterday to a fine young man Uh, and uh, we want to continue to pray for Truman and Ruth Ann Brandt for Carol DeLong as she suffers with her back pain for Cliff and the family as they mourn Joyce's passing Continue to pray for Bruce as he recovers from his recent illness and for Carol as she heals from a broken foot. She was here last week with her scooter and her one, one foot up. Uh, continue to pray for Mike and Kathy Kohler he from, as he recovers from eye surgery and she that her hip and back issues would be resolved. Please continue to pray for Greg Koch and his eye and knee issues that they would improve. For Bonnie Kunkel as she heals from a recent accident. For Cheryl Oberheim, for Carlin Taney, for Karen, and for uh, our country and our leaders during these troublesome times. Also remember October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Uh, I'm back here. Yeah. <laughs> he was so stunned that I would mention that from the pulpit. <laughs> Someone helped the man learn to tie his shoes. <laughs> anyway, um, so we always want to be remembering our pastor in prayer, not just this month, but every day for him and his family. Uh, Christine will tell you being raised in a pastor's home is not an easy task. Uh, and uh, being a pastor, we know, cannot be easy. If everyone was like me, it would be even worse. So, <laughs> so anyway, we always, uh, we'll fight about it later. <laughs> so anyway, we want to remember our pastor and family. So let's join together in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your many blessings to us. We thank you uh, for Abby and her new husband and their joining together in marriage. When so many times it seems like the institution of marriage is falling apart, it's wonderful to see two people who want to do what's right in the sight of the Lord and raise their children as... uh, Knowing the Lord, that's a wonderful thing. And we thank you for them. Thank you for Barb and Daryl. Lord, we pray that you would touch them in their physical problems. Daryl with his stroke and Parkinsonism and uh, Barb with her recent hip injury. Uh, Touch them with your healing touch, Lord, we pray. For Truman and Ruth Ann Brandt and their ongoing health concerns, Lord, may they know this morning that we're praying for them and that you are their God and love them. For Carol DeLong as her long-standing longstanding uh, history of pain and back issues and her husband, Alan, Lord, give them strength and give them your special touch this morning. For Cliff and Joan and the whole family, Lord, comfort them in their loss of a wonderful wife and mother and uh, all the grandchildren, great-grandchildren siblings, everybody, Lord, and children. Lord, please comfort them also, and may they find joy in their memories and in the knowledge that Joyce is now whole and happy and with God. Uh, Pray for Joy, uh, Carol and Bruce, and pray that you would touch them physically, uh, for Mike and Kathy, for Greg, For Bonnie, bring them healing, Lord. For Cheryl, Lord, may you be her rock and her salvation and her hope as she struggles with depression and anxiety. For Carlin and Karen, we pray that you would uh, act through the doctors and the nurses and give them strength for each day. We pray for our country, Lord, too, and our leaders during these times. It's It's not a time when it would be easy to lead. But Lord, give them wisdom. And what is more, give them your wisdom. And Lord, whether we voted for them or not, we pray for them. Uh, And uh, we ask that you would bless them and give them wisdom and strength to do the job that they have to do despite of the fracturing of our country and, and the many different ideas of what is right. Lord, may your truth prevail because there's only one truth and that is yours father we pray that as we go this week that we will remember that we are a family and a family united by you and lord may we go out in victory and may we go out in truth and may we go out in your strength and we pray these things in your precious son's name amen Benediction today is from Jude. And it is verses 24 and 25. To him who was able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God and our Savior be glory, majesty, and power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. You're dismissed.